0: welcome back to probably about politics this episode spain and also a few other things like Yeah. (laughs) so we are currently in the midst of a historic heat wave yes and i talk about someday i'd like to move to spain i feel like pretty often Mm. i say that just as like if i'm having a bad day but people always say oh no it's so hot there and you know what I always say that it's no big deal, but it is 39 degrees out right now, and Mm -hmm. I might take it to heart next time they say that actually Madrid is not all it is cooked up to be.
1: Yeah, I mean it's uh, as as you say it's it's hotter there than it probably hotter there than it is here. I would guess right now.
0: Yeah, it's even worse. Never mind Spain. (laughs) You're not as great as everybody says you are.
1: (laughs) This is a great way to start before we even talk about the election. Really just make sure we lose Spanish listeners. (laughs) Okay.
0: We could get some back. We're going to talk about something else before we talk about the election, but let's do Spain facts before we talk about our first story, before we get into Spain so we can get some of these listeners on board with Spain being a nice, good country again.
1: Yeah. All right. So
0: Spain, as you know, Kaylee, on the Iberian Peninsula. Yes. I love, as a side note, when there's like a region and it has a name other than just the country. That's cool.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, yeah. uh, I always like when we're going to Nova Scotia to talk about the Isthmus of Chignecto. Nobody <laughs> knows what that is. but I mean,
1: uh, yeah. If they hang out with you, they do. You never stop bringing it up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Knowing the name of the region, even though it's not a country, is fun. Like Patagonia. Cool. Mm-hmm. Iberian Peninsula. Right on. Anyway, Spain, one of the countries on the Iberian Peninsula, population of nearly 50 million people. Um mm-hmm. and a kingdom. It's so, it's so similar to Canada, right? 40 million versus 50 million. We both have kings. Ours is not Philippe six. Um, but Spain, the second most visited country on earth. Mm-hmm. Second only to France. Yeah.
1: yeah. But I mean it's a tourist hotspot.
0: More than France has more UNESCO World Heritage Sites than anywhere else in the world. Its national anthem has no words, so you don't feel left out when you're somewhere in Spain and they're playing the national anthem and you can't sing along because nobody can. And finally, it's not just been a tourist attraction now. It's been a tourist attraction for centuries. In fact, the world's Mm -hmm. oldest restaurant, Sobrino de Botin, is in Spain in constant operation in the same place since 1725. The cellar beneath from the early 1500s.
1: Wow. Wow. So next time, next time we cover the the Spanish election. That's we'll we'll be doing it live. Oldest <laughs> restaurant in the world. <laughs> yes,
0: we have previously covered Spain, but not Spain. Mm-hmm. We have talked about uh, Catalan referendums uh, yes. and independence. So if you're looking for a little more background around what's going on in this country and maybe why some people feel the way they do, you can go find out that uh, you can go watch that episode about um, separatists and reformation. Um, but we're going to be talking about Spain a little bit later. That's just the appetizer, the amuse bouche, because
1: mm-hmm.
0: we got something a little bit weirder to talk about first.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so depending on what parts of the internet you're in, uh, and and this had a surprising like I think this this if you are sort of in international politics spheres. The story probably popped up in your newsfeed, and you're a little like, "Why?" <laughs> uh, and and then yes. if you're on the other side of the uh, the this like circle of interest, you'd also wonder why this was was happening. Yes. Um But it, this week, uh, um, the a site called Archive of Our Own, um, which is a, a, a basically a database of Fan fiction. Mm -hmm. Uh, It contains over 11 million pieces spanning 57,000 different fandoms. So basically, if you want to read a story about your two favorite characters in Star Wars, there's probably a story there. Mm -hmm. In this, on the site, it has a lot of users, 5 million uh, users Mm -hmm. um, and is entirely volunteer run, but it was taken down this week uh, by a DDoS attack, which seems like a little bit of a mean thing to do to a volunteer run (laughs) site. (laughs) Now, to put this
0: into context, right, on the continuum of people who live exclusively in our world, Mm -hmm. because they care about geopolitics they care about international uh, interactions and all the way on the other side of that continuum are the people that live exclusively in other people's worlds where they write fandoms they write fan fiction (laughs) about other worlds rather than making things happen in our world it comes full circle because sometimes there's also fan fiction about real people in the real world. So there's a potential that somebody has written a fan fiction already that is uploaded on AO3 where AO3 gets DDoSed because of the reasons that you're about to say. So I'm just saying that there might, this might have been, you know, a million type, a million monkeys writing on typewriters and somewhere there's Shakespeare potentially. Yeah. This scenario is already it's, written. Is it in has the been library.
1: Pre, 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 pre described. Yeah. I think also like, not only, like, yeah, so some a writer here should maybe think about writing this, but the story I think I'm going to tell you could also be a pretty fun, like, six-part mini-series on uh, political drama. Uh, would, I don't know. It'd be interesting. Mm-hmm. I think it'd be quite fun. Um, but I guess to kind of s- go back a bit, I guess, I don't know if everyone knows what a DDoS attack is. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll just kind of, I guess, start there. It's basically... It means that you're going to overwhelm the website with an excessive volume of requests. So um, uh, if you are a website that is selling something, sometimes if the thing that you're selling is so popular that, ever, that too many people buy it um, or try and go onto your website to buy it, it might crash the website. And this is sort of artificially doing that with uh, fake re- or fake requests mm. that, that surpass the, wes- the website's capacity to handle them. Um, And then the servers become overloaded. uh, And then you as a legitimate user who is looking to find his uh, fan fiction about Harry Potter cannot get through. And so initially this seems like quite an... It it seems initially fairly innocuous. Like, well, I don't know why you would do that. Um, Sort of there's a a statement released uh, by... Uh, the spokesperson for the uh, the organization of transformative works which is the sort of parent comp- organization for archive of our own that said we currently have no timeline for getting back online because this is a dedicated volunteer uh, like system admin so the taking measures against these attacks we're not sure how this is going to work but it was eventually revealed that the organization who was taking credit for the attack was a group called anonymous Sudan um, and anonymous Sudan, Sort of immediately, kind of will raise flags if you've been kind of following the sort of increase in DDoS attacks internationally. Um, They've also attacked Microsoft. They attacked uh, with a DDoS attack. They uh, they were also in uh, evolved, uh, so they took out Outlook, Teams, and OneDrive with a DDoS attack. Oh wow! Um, They yeah, Um, they were also uh, they also did this in. Switzerland, I believe, um, and, and took down several. Uh, it might have been Sweden, actually. Sorry, um, and and took down several like international or national government sites, um, and they're sort of. So, so they've been kind of a, a festering problem, um, and this is kind of an interesting. You kind of leads you to wonder what does Archive of Our Own have in common. With these organizations that would cause Anonymous Sudan to attack them, um, and so eventually, uh, Archive of Our Own also released a statement saying a group presenting themselves as a collective of religiously and politically motivated hackers is claimed to be responsibility for the attack. Um, but cybersecurity experts believe that the group is claiming responsibility is lying about their affiliation and reason for attacking the website. Uh, Anonymous Sudan had said that they were doing this as uh, because of the degeneracy of the site, uh, which is full of smut other L- and other LGBTQ plus and not safe for work uh, things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is why they are attacking them. Um, and so I, I, you can kind of see an archive of our own like statement about this already flagging there might be something else behind why they're choosing to do this. And if you dig into it, Anonymous Sudan has only uh, in since I think it was since about March or February started to align itself with the idea that it's uh, from Sudan. Um, it had previously uh, been pretty. Uh, Uh, online been speaking in Russian uh, supporting uh, various pro-Russian and activities and, and accounts. Um, And it's also been said that is not a part of the anonymous, like the anonymous collective, which is a hacktivist group has said they're not a part of, it's not a part of their group. There are, it has only recently started posting in Arabic and making overt cultural and nationalist references to Sudan um, so, so there's a lot of reason to suspect that actually this might be a uh, pro-Russian uh, uh, hack uh, or hacking group, uh, and then it sort of leads to questions of why would Russia be doing that? And it's also this scale of attack. I guess it's worth noting is. Is quite like an intensive approach to attacking a website. It requires a lot of capacity. Mm-hmm. So there's also significant indication that they are being funded, likely by uh, either by the Russian government, perhaps indirectly through the other state-funded hack- hack- hackers and organizations like that. Um, but so so that's that's kind of the the situation. Is it very interestingly? Um, Russia's choosing to make these attacks, and, and people were s- originally sort of saying that there was no immediate I- correlation between the attacks and why Russia would want to do that. But it became sort of clear, like, if you look at Microsoft, these outages were timed almost, uh, in, or er, pretty in line with an increase in hostilities in the Russian war in Ukraine and mm-hmm. their invasion in Ukraine as well in Sweden. Uh, it was, uh, sort of, they so and and Sweden kind of paints what might be a more direct line between why they attacked A O three, or Archive of Our Own, I mean, um, because uh, there had been some burnings of the Quran in, Quran in Sweden in front of the Turkish embassy, uh, and there's some speculation that the uh, the DDoS attacks were meant to amplify uh, tensions between Sweden's Muslim minority and, uh, and uh, Sweden, the, the rest of the other Swedish people. Um, and this would further pressure Turkey, who has a, a, an important role in either rejecting or approving Sweden's bid to join NATO as a military alliance. Um, so you can see that this might be uh, seen as an opportunity to drive up hostilities. If they believe that it is uh Islamic or hacktivist group uh, causing these tensions, that might support russia's ambitions in terms of uh polarizing western societies and stoking uh, islamophobia in addition to uh pushing uh islamic uh predominantly islamic countries towards russia as uh as alliance partners um as one uh as uh, an interesting TikTok i saw actually it was saying that it, it if you look at archive of our own if it, if it is uh, truly quite, per, it, it is quite represented by uh, LGBTQ plus peoples who are writing stories on there and well highly, like the stories often contain content related to those issues. The participants or the people who are part of the membership of that website are often identified with that community. And then you have uh, um, uh, 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 an organization identifying as being, uh, supporting of Islamic values and supporting an Isla- uh, predominantly Muslim country, uh, it both stokes sort of resentment potentially within that community, but also further allows Russia to say that uh, Western countries um, are supportive of of things that these other countries do not value and are are uh, to the to to the detriment of um, to to the and and increasing Islamophobia. So. So uh, increasing the feeding into homophobia and uh, discriminatory uh, policies in uh, predominantly Muslim countries in order to sort of further put a rift between alliances with countries like Saudi Arabia and Qatar and oil oil countries that Russia would like to have aligned with them more seriously so that they can collectively raise the price of oil and Russia can fund its invasion of Ukraine.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, it seems only fitting that the best source of information on a potentially Russian backed group pretending to be from Sudan, trying to interfere with Turkey, allowing Sweden to join NATO and also demanding $30,000 in Bitcoin while taking down a fandom site um, would be from TikTok. Uh, Mm -hmm. It seems just too deep. It's an
1: extremely online story. It is
0: an extremely (laughs) online story uh, with real world implications. Um, But I mean, to follow the uh, politics thread from this story, um, Sweden and NATO and Ukraine um, are moving forward, right? Like this. uh, And also, I mean, um, AO3 is back online now with, protection yeah, from Cloudflare yeah. um, against um, distributed denial-of-service attacks and even more advanced attacks um, after, you know, less than a couple days. The longest ever yeah. uh, DDoS attack lasted almost 40 days. Yeah, um, so kind of it could once. have been, you know, the like more advanced techniques can last for like significant amounts of time um, and cost a lot of money to find ways to overcome. But um, it seems like uh, NATO uh, will still grow. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, and I think the funny visual for me is just, uh, just a poor uh, volunteer who is working on a fandom site getting sort of a call from national security or something like that to say, hey, yeah. we, we think uh, this is what's happening to you. Uh, it, you'd, you'd feel a bit in over your head, I would imagine, but maybe I, I don't have any idea who the, uh, maybe the system admin uh, volunteer is, is extremely experienced with this. I don't know. Okay. I
0: mean, but imagine if if you really are just a homophobe out there trying to take down a phantom site, <laughs> and 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 your great your life's greatest work, um, ddos'ing a website owned by volunteers, uh, yeah. <laughs> is given away to uh, Russians because it just makes so little sense that it could only be yeah. for pure chaos reasons that you would ever do something like that
1: <laughs> yes
0: <laughs> so so if that is the case you know screw you you don't get any uh achievements <laughs> um so thank you for sharing this uh introduction to um Spain <laughs> <laughs>
1: yes this is a weird story but I thought it was uh worth telling <laughs> hey it fits it fits
0: it fits the format. Um, and this, this is taking the place of United Nations news because this was more important um, uh, going forward. So <laughs> <laughs> so,
1: yeah.
0: so, we're in Spain, right? World's most mm-hmm. UNESCO heritage sites. There's so many tourists around. Everybody loves it. Um, but there's an election that's going to take place on July 23rd in about a week. Uh and that's earlier than it was supposed to happen. Um, and there, some of the things that you just talked about, you know, trans rights, homophobia, LGBT community, are going to come up in this election too. So if you had enough of it, listening to that first fifteen minutes, go back and listen to the Catalan referendum episode, <laughs> 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 or skip ahead to the end where we talk talk about um, people not having to do online surveys anymore because you can just ask Chat GPT uh so there's an election taking place on july 23rd right this elects um two bodies a bicameral Mm -hmm. um parliament over there uh congress of deputies and most of the senate but not all of the senate is being elected that makes up the larger congress which is the court general um as i said surprise early dissolution We were anticipating this to happen in December 2023, but things were brought up earlier and are going to be taking place this month um, with the current prime minister, uh, Pedro Sanchez, who's the incumbent, who leads the Spanish Socialist Workers Party. His party has recently lost significant ground in regional elections back in May to um, pretty much the other largest party, the People's Party, which is led by Alberto Núñez Feijú. So we have these two parties, mostly, more or less. Pedro Sanchez runs the Spanish Socialist Workers' Party, current prime minister. Uh, opposition is People's Party, led by Alberto Núñez Fajo. Um, and they've lost five regions. They lost control of five regions back in May, out of the 13, um, to the People's Party. Now, there's essentially, because you basically aren't going to be able to get enough support, um, and you need to form a coalition to form government in Spain. There's two other parties that are pretty important to what's going to happen here in Spain. We got um, Sumar or Unite, same same party, left wing party, which is currently supporting the Socialist Party or the the uh, Spanish Socialist Workers Party, um, and also the Vox, which are the far right party, which look to be able to support which likely look to be able to support the People's Party to form a um, conservative government after this election happens with some pretty uh, far-right ideals soaked in due to that support Um, for the first time alt-right, or a far-right party um, getting into government in Spain since uh, the early 1970s, essentially,
1: is where we are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's about it. (laughs) (laughs) yeah no it's i mean it's it yeah so there's a lot there's there's a lot to dig into there um i think it notably i guess we're i guess to set the scene for spain the last election was in november 2019 Mm -hmm. um and so yeah the current uh governing party as you said was the spanish Socialist workers party in a in with the support of the unadas Podemos, which uh has been sort of kind of brought into the party you mentioned sumar um and has lost significant support um in those regional elections Mm -hmm. um and and yeah and so this was like this election was the kind of a big call uh for pedro sanchez the current prime minister to uh, he he sort of said you know the the support was not good in the in in the regional election so i'm calling it um we'll get into a little bit about why it's kind of interesting to call the election now but uh but this was sort of a play i think in a lot of ways to say i'll call the election now and see if we can if if we can catch the opposition parties kind of on the back foot um and and hope to have a chance to to swing the election in his favor um i think it's worth noting like i think we've talked about a lot of countries that are sort of in a bad position post-pandemic um, and certainly that's a part of the story here. I think COVID-19 and the Russian invasion in Ukraine has created important economic crises. crises. Um, but overall, Spain's economy is growing faster than most of the EU. Um, and there have been a number of uh, significant social reforms that the government has made. There are some caveats to how successful those have been mm-hmm. but um, or, or the questionable situations they've created. But I think we've talked about a lot of countries recently who are... Not in great economic positions, or uh, and 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 there is certainly a cost of living challenge as there is everywhere in Spain, mm-hmm. or everywhere in, in in the world right now. Um, but it's not, it's interestingly not as much of an election that is as crushingly about those issues, I guess. Yeah,
0: yeah. So let's maybe let's talk first about the the politics, the 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 politic side of this, right? Is like mm-hmm why from these two these two ideas right of you just lost you just had a pretty embarrassing loss at the regional elections in may right of many regions losing so why is the idea that you should then call the election shortly thereafter rather than waiting until december and trying to regain support what's the idea there
1: <laughs> um well uh so, uh, people in Spain, Spaniards are, Spaniards are on vacation. Uh, so for, which is not something that necessarily happens in North America. So we might not be as aware of it, but for about the, a lot of the month of July and most of the month of August, most Spanish people will be on vacation, not at their homes to vote. So it means that could really affect turnout. It means that, uh, uh especially, um richer and 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 that correlates more strongly with slightly more conservative voters are going to be on vacation more than uh working class uh, vote, uh voters uh and so that that kind of component of it is uh it, you'd have to be motivated to vote um and if that motivation isn't there that might reduce the likelihood that you're going to do it then the sort of the second the part about what we were talking about as you open the show climate change and the increase in temperatures um average t- temperatures in madrid will be 33 degrees celsius uh, other parts of the country were 44 degrees celsius last july um and so as uh i sort of read like so i read from an article so i think it was in politico they said we A woman said, we've never voted so late in the summer when at least 10 million of Spain's 37 million electors are on vacation. It's unclear how many voters will be away from their home cities, how many of them will be willing to go back to cast their ballots, how many will vote by mail. Uh, It's all a bit of a mystery. Um, And so you have vote by mail as a system that will probably be uh, considerably like strained Mm -hmm. by the, the election. So that's a challenge. Another interesting challenge. That has been coming up is the fact that um, what instead of we've heard of like it's your legal obligation to vote or jury duty, Mm -hmm. Um, but in Spain they actually have your legal obligation to be a poll worker. And so if you're sent a letter, (laughs) you have to go work at the polls. You could face up to one year in jail if you don't, Um, or yeah, one year in jail. Um, But with the midsummer voting, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of poll workers aren't showing up, and even though they do face this. Um, so it's, uh, there are powers for like, I guess the Spanish government can just go out and like, if the poll worker didn't show up and you're walking by, they can say you you're in and <laughs> that you have to do it, but it still is, it's still creating a bit of a problem. It still creates a problem in terms of the functioning of the polls. And if you're going to have people lining up for potentially hours to vote, in the heat, that's going to be a deterrent. Somebody wow. else also pointed out interestingly: um, the vote because of the heat, people will probably mostly vote early morning, late evening. Uh, but if you see a surge, like record-breaking turnouts early morning, that really implies to you that uh, everybody else is voting. Do I need to go vote? But there might be a significant drop off in the middle of the af- in the middle of the day, um, and then more people coming out. It's just the distribution of time might set expectations about how many people are voting and your calculation about whether you should go vote wow. and might skew it so these sort of factors could come into play um as well as as i said like if you have uh you know that uh probably uh the richer more likely to be conservative populations are off on vacation you also have a chance to really rally the working class and more left-wing students like those that population that is likely to be more left, mm-hmm. less likely to be on a far, far-flung vacation, um, and is going to be worried um, with the increasing likelihood that a party like Vox could take power in a country that has historically had a historically bad relationship with fascism and has historically been socialist since it's been uh, having democratic elections.
0: Wow. What an interesting way to decide to call an election.
1: Yes. It fe- feels a bit nefarious. <laughs> it feels like
0: it feel like this is the second thing today. I mean, sure we're mm-hmm. talking about it because they're interesting things, but it feels like the second thing that should be a TV show. Like the war yeah. room deciding when to call the election and in, including like environmental factors and wow, and then somebody in the war room they're deciding they call the election they're working hard on it now, July 10th rolls around, mm-hmm. somebody whispers in the prime minister's ear oh my goodness, Russia just took down the fan fiction site. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then we didn't include that in our calculations and it totally throws <laughs> off the entire election because if the fan fiction site's down, people are reading more about politics. So they're like working so hard to get the site back up. <laughs> that's, that's a TV show. That's the, that's the plot, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, well, okay. So... That's why the election is happening. That is some of the reasons why the election is happening in July. It also puts pressure on the opposition parties to try and capitalize. They don't have time to necessarily spend that that political capital that they've won back in May. They can't really put together plans and how to put that together um, all the way into December, but they kind of have to spend it all now. Um, puts them on the back foot, as you said, including all of those environmental and social um, reasons why this type of election call might benefit the um, person in power that's calling the election. Interesting that you note that all of this might be impacted by the ability of Spaniards to cast votes, you know, by mail or because they won't be around. Because in 2022, right, the there was a law that made it so that if you were an expat, um, mm-hmm. or you were abroad, you had to apply to be able to vote. You weren't just able to vote, and that was abolished. So this will be the first election since that was in place where you didn't have to go through all that extra work to work to vote by mail um, from another country. And now this new wrench has been thrown in um, where there's still going to be issues voting voting abroad potentially. So yeah, very interesting yeah. potential outcomes of, you know, whether or not people will actually be showing up to the to the ballot box
1: yeah and I guess like to add sort of the to sort of elaborate on the dimension of why it may put the people's so the people's party let's be perfectly clear I guess in the polls they are ahead yes Uh, the people's party is the Christian Democratic Party they're they are the most likely to win at this point it's certainly not done i and and i wouldn't i wouldn't say don't pay attention because i think it actually is maybe a closer election than it appears to be um for the factors that we're talking about here um but it is a situation where pedro sanchez the current prime minister is having to like try and get every advantage he can um, there, there's a reason that he's he's called the election he has. It also me, but the part about it putting on the back foot is we're talking about those regional elections, right? That was mm-hmm. what cued him to call the election, and part of that was that Vox, the nationalist, the National Conservative Party, um, who has historically been pretty aligned with uh, uh, Francoist uh, rhetoric, pro uh, like one Spain ideology. Um, so Franco was sort of the fascist dictator uh, until the 1970, 1975, I believe, uh, Francisco Franco. Um, so calling a party that is sort of calling back and not necessarily denouncing um, that particular regime which Spain has historically tried to distance themselves, did pretty well in those regional elections as a result a lot of people's party where the people's party won they are going to have to work with vox in those regional settings Mm -hmm. um and in order very notably vox has said that they are willing to support the people's party if they should win um enough to potentially form the government uh uh with uh, together um but the People's Party is not like they're avoiding being in photos, shaking hands. They're putting off making those mm-hmm. regional level government uh, governance agreements to govern in partnership with Vox because they're that link to Vox is is definitely something that would push sort of the better, the better educated, less euroskeptic sort of conservative part of Spain, which is sort of the majority of the the. Conservative voters in Spain at this point, Vox mm-hmm. has a solid base, but it's not necessarily as even Vox does not necessarily speak in the same way that you'd see the nationalist parties in France speak about um, about immigration mm-hmm. um, and 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 sort of economic policies and Euroscepticism. there. It's, it's a slightly different party. So so if you you're forcing sort of the the PP to, uh, the the People's Party to uh, figure out how to distance themselves from Vox enough but also keep them close enough that mm-hmm. they'll agree to be in the government with them. Um, so it, it'd be very interesting to watch just how sort of that balance that balance plays out and how the Spanish people interpret that.
0: And so interestingly right like since since May in aggregated polling results uh, in Spain, the um, Socialist Party or the Social Workers Party has gained about five points from just below Mm -hmm. 25 to almost 30% now just in the last um, two months um, since those regional elections. Um, Most of that coming at the expense of potential um, allies (laughs) Um, but they're also, because there still has been a rise in um, support for the People's Party, um, but less of a rise of support potentially than the Social Workers Party. So there's been a ton of movement in polls, which is typical of times leading up to elections, especially given how tight this is to other elections. So politics is happening. people are talking about politics and people's opinions are changing. Um, but given the um, recent performance of the two main party leaders in debates, it seems like people <laughs> are thinking that the People's Party leader, um, Feiju is winning is winning debates um going Mm -hmm. into this election so i mean sometimes that's what it comes down to right you try to get a heat wave on your side and you try to use your supercomputer to figure out how how the temperature is going to play into this and some other person uh just talks better
1: yeah uh, uh, well yeah i think it'll be a combination of that um especially the the governing party always has that i think You will you'll have experienced it in elections in your own country, I'm sure um, for the listeners um, where like if you're the governing party, you're also fighting all the mistakes that your government has made and trying to make sure people ignore those. So um, certainly Sanchez is 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 quite critically viewed and and hit quite hard for his willingness to work with uh, separatist groups uh, for which if you, you can, again, learn more about our, our Catalan refer- in our Catalan referendum yeah. episode, um, there was also a, a law he passed on uh, uh, relating to sexual assault and sexual violence that act- actually created a loophole and allowed hundreds of uh, people convicted of sexual assault to be released early. Um, that was viewed quite poorly, um, if you're interested, I recommend reading about it. Uh, but uh, it... it, it and he was sort of just like, I'm sorry this happened, but it didn't necessarily solve the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so so there's been a few, like, scandals that can really get hit on. I think there's certainly the reverse is true for the People's Party. Um, they And especially the closer they get tied to Vox, um, because they have to contend with the fact that, like, this is a part, The Vox is a party that is sort of... Uh, Supports supporting immigrants, opposes uh, abortion and uh, and pregnancy-related sick leave, uh, as well as, as has attempted to repeal LGBTQI laws and denied climate change in a country where, again, I said it's going to be 44 degrees potentially on Election Day. So mm-hmm. it, they're sort of like, they're both well i think you're right i think that the people's party he has an advantage he has generally been seen to be coming out slightly ahead in the debates they're both like two leaders who are kind of entrenched in trying to fight the other the things that they have said or done um, already the reputations that they they exist in and it'll sort of it's i think it sort of seems a bit like the election is a bit of like which is the worst of two evils for some for some voters and I think it's also an election of, uh, of who is more motivated to come out, and if that swing, what way that swings by the time we get to July twenty third.
0: Mm-hmm. So, I think that's a good place to end on this, right? July twenty third is coming up pretty quick. Um, unfortunately, by the time you're listening to this, if you haven't ro- um, registered for a postal ballot, it's too late because July thirteenth is the last day to do that. <laughs> um, but, but
1: if you're in Spain, get out, vote. If you're in
0: Spain and you registered for a postal ballot and you haven't submitted it yet, that deadline is probably in a couple of days by the time you hear this. Uh, so get out <laughs> and make sure that you submit that ballot uh, to get it counted in time for election day. Um, so that election, as uh, you just mentioned, is happening July 23rd. It'll be one to watch. It's going to be one that's going to be moving through the day and interesting um, to see the news coverage of what happens, um, especially with all of those other um Factors that might be impacting the election. So what I want to talk about today for science news. Space news. Um, mm-hmm. Space news, <laughs> which
1: right. which is yes. really
0: just science news now. Um, <laughs> is, you know, supercomputers can help you decide when you want to have elections because they can take all these factors into account. Um, but supercomputers can also potentially just replace humans altogether. Never mind mm, asking people to vote. Just ask GPT for what the average person would do and just use that as your vote maybe, right?
1: <laughs> but how do we know how it, it is figuring out that average? Ah,
0: How do we know? So, <laughs> Kaylee, <laughs> there's a very interesting paper out this month just very recently in Trends in Cognitive Science called Mm -hmm. Can AI Language Models Replace Human Participants? Now, a little (laughs) bit of background on this, right? So Mm -hmm. chatbots have been used to represent so far already voters and customers, right? So this is not voters when you're already voting, but this is voters when you're choosing, hey, should we call an election here? Let's ask Mm -hmm. GPT. Let's ask a large language model who we're going to say to the large language model, We're gonna make a bunch of representative people that represent Mm -hmm. different people in the country. We're gonna create a thousand potentially um, synthetic users, as they're called. Then we're gonna tell them that we're calling an election. We're gonna see how they all respond rather than having focus groups with real people that cost money and are difficult and slow. So these are called synthetic users, right? Now, (laughs) listeners at home, you can't see Kaylee's skeptical face about this, but not so happy. (laughs) So you can select, right, if you can provide these kind of attributes of your voter group, right, then the synthetic user can with very high accuracy fill in other boxes about a specific voter attribute that align really strongly with the voters that already actually exist, right? So you can say, you know, you're a Republican, decide Mm -hmm. which state you live in, and they'll say Alabama, right? Or much, much more um, distinct stuff like that. So they can decide, you know, the large language model synthetic user can then start to decide what's their religious affiliation. What kind of stores do they likely shop in? Where do they likely live? How much money do they probably make? All of these things, right? They yeah. can even show price sensitivity based on their... You can say, this is how much money you make. What kind of things do you want to buy? Do you Would you spend more money on this or less money on this? They can even say like mm-hmm. what kind of yogurt they want to buy, depending on what kind of yogurt they have previously bought. This is all <laughs> in the literature already, okay? Okay. So... Why not then, when we're doing psychological research that might be difficult to do or maybe unethical to do?
1: Oh, I see. Yeah.
0: Ask a synthetic user rather than a real person.
1: Hmm.
0: So, with pilot studies or these unethical to perform studies, we can use these. So, already uh, um, there's a study that is called the Milgram experiment that people are probably familiar with once I start explaining it. So, this is People in white lab coats tell participants, shock this other person in another room. You can only hear them, but you can't see them. They're not actually shocking them, but they're hearing you know, fake responses from another person. Then they're told, shock them with a voltage that is deadly. And mm. even though they know that this electric shock might kill the other person, they still do it because they're told to do it, right? And a recent um, piece of work showed that chatbots if told to do this and conditioned in the same way as um, mm-hmm. as participants were in this experiment, actually do the same thing and still administer okay. deadly voltages even though they are you know supposed to not do immoral things, right? But because uh-huh. they represent what people do, because they're trained on people, they can still do these things. So that was really interesting, right, at first. Mm-hmm. Um, so now what this really recent paper has done has taken a bunch of moral questions from five other publications. Um, There's Mm -hmm. like 460 moral scenarios and you basically train it on a subset of those moral scenarios to say this is what people do. This is what you should do in these conditions. And GPT 3.5, which is even out of date already. Now we have GPT 4, (laughs) right? Had a a 0.95 correlation between whether or not the large language model thinks that doing something is moral or immoral and a human would do it in the same way. And the same, the same responses from those other papers. So it can recapitulate the decisions of real people based on Mm -hmm. saying some previous things of what's moral and immoral and not just, not just a binary decision, moral or immoral, like it can determine the differences between saying, if something saying murder is bad and lying is bad but one is worse than the other and to a degree like a very strong degree so in this paper they have moral judgments ranging between negative four and positive four and you Mm -hmm. should see the alignment of the regression between what real people say and what large language models are able to decide on morality already at like essentially nearing human level um, decision making for moral decisions that are gray
1: all right. <laughs> this is among the more... And you've told me a lot of concerning things. This is among the more uh, concerning quest, uh, concerning things. That I have lots of... Uh, yeah, we'll see.
0: I mean, so... So this is just interesting, right? We just want to see yeah. what these things can if do. If you can. Right? Um, a lot yeah. of these types of studies. So this is not to replace these studies from actually happening because we're not really yeah. interested in studying what large... We are interested in studying what large language models can do. Well, yeah. But it's also if you're going to make a survey, right? You're going to design an experiment that has questions that you're going to ask people you don't really know ahead of time which of those questions is going to be the most important for discriminating between mm-hmm. exactly what you're trying to tease apart. But by asking yeah. these questions, you can write a ton of questions to make sure they're well understood and to make sure that they mm-hmm. actually provide predictive power by first act asking synthetic yeah. users. And then you can really make really good and useful scientific surveys. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean... This still doesn't really replace observational studies, which is a lot of what psychological experiments are. A lot of it's Mm -hmm. not just surveys. You know, you can't... I mean, you can... And that would be interesting, you know, comparing what people's brains look like in fMRIs when they're asked these questions or put in scenarios compared to activity inside large language models that's happening when you ask these questions, right? (laughs) A huge range of super cool stuff you can do. Yeah. um, Yes. And showing that this already is allowing you to run these pilot studies based on synthetic users and potentially who even wants to get into the question of whether or not if a synthetic user can determine if something is moral or not to then run, um, immoral studies using that as the user. I don't know. That feels kind of bad, right? <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. The, the immoral studies is, I think that that's like, yeah, you do reach the point of like, the, I think that's the point we're reaching a lot of, uh, these sorts of scientific and technological advancements is, um, because you can now do an immoral study without hurting a human, like it, it was It was that the only reason to not do it? I guess. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder what the, yeah. What is uh, What is the limit on the pursuit of knowledge? But that's maybe a, a, a debate for a different, much longer episode. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. But so I just want to, f- on a final note though, you know, this does not represent the views of, Um, They note in the paper, right? People over 65, highly religious, Mm -hmm. non-affluent, non-white people are significantly underrepresented just on the internet and in training data for large language models. Um, So there's just like entire societies and groups that are not represented. Um, And so, you know, turns out you still just got to go ask real people sometimes bummer yeah
1: turns turns <laughs> out we might not be getting out of that okay well that's yeah that's too bad i guess
0: <laughs> all right so if you are yeah. in spain go vote because we can't let we can't yet replace you with a synthetic user based on gpt4 maybe next time you won't have to brave the heat because we can but for now <laughs> go vote uh Please and vote. Yep. even if you are a large language model go follow us on uh all of our socials at prob politics maybe we'll make a threads um yeah send us an email at probably at politics at gmail.com
1: i hope we're contributing to the intelligence of artificial intelligence with this episode
0: yes maybe maybe train them on us anyway thank you for listening to probably about politics we love you all